school starts next week. Are you ready? Welcome to That Guy Walking Podcast. So there's one thing about school that I always found unique, and as a student, I sort of dreaded. But as an educator, both of when I taught middle school, when I was working in uh, youth ministry, and now in working with adults, both on higher education as well as within a professional development realm, the, the beginning of school is this, is this new beginning. But like I said, I doubted that when I was a student. Because you think about the beginning of school or the next amount of school, and I'm thinking about high school right now because that was just the most recent amount of, of I can relate to, that as much as there was excitement, there was dread, there was concern because you heard from the upperclassmen about the different projects that were coming, the different teachers that were coming, and I wasn't that confident in my schooling sometimes. So I always did fine in, in class, but there was always sort of a dread until you were actually in it, right? You can always think about how something is much worse than it really is and going to be. I think I, I'm a definite purveyor of that where I can think about, or I used to think about how much worse something was. And then when I actually went through it, realizing it's not that bad. But the difference is now being a teacher, I always see the beginning of the school year And even on a micro level, the beginning of a new month, the beginning of a new six weeks or quarter or however the system works as an opportunity to change something up, to make something new in the classroom that I've always done. I'm not content with just doing it the same way over and over and over again. I was always baffled in high school when I had teachers that used the same test and the same homework over and over and over again and how they would just let it go when those same tests were handed out by the previous year's students so that we had all the test questions were there, all of the scores were easily able to be copied, it made no sense. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of their time as a teacher. It was a waste of my time as a student because all I learned how to do was find a copy of the test. I didn't learn how to really think about, and I think it was economics. I didn't really learn much about economics, which I wish I had had some more into it but as we've been rolling into school next week both as a dad and as a uh, administrator and professional development leader I think the newness is always something that I find exciting and inspiring so I came across this uh, quote and actually have been listening slash reading the book Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek and if you haven't ever listened to Simon Sinek's TED Talks or read his books or listened to his ebooks Uh, or his audibles or whatever, Um, it is an awesome uh, way to spend your time. He's an excellent writer, excellent speaker, and just can find inspiration in in everything that he he talks about. And so one quote from Leaders Eat Last is this, the responsibility of leadership is not to come up with all the ideas, but to create an environment in which ideas can thrive. When I think about this as a teacher, or as an educator, or as a boss, or as a dad. It all works in the same way. It's not subject to just being one area, but this quote can, can last in all areas that we work, that as a leader, as a teacher in my classroom, as a speaker, professional development trainer of teachers, as a dad to kids, husband to my wife, 
as the leader, it's my responsibility not necessarily to come up with all of the ideas, but to create an environment in which great ideas can thrive. The economics class I described to you was not a place where ideas could thrive. It was a place where ideas died because the one idea was get a copy of the test and then the ideas were done. There wasn't an opportunity to come up with my own budget or my own ideas about what could happen in the economics or the economic future, or going through different scenarios of what if this happens or what if this government falls or things that have happened now since I graduated high school. And I just wonder about those teachers and those, those leaders who don't allow for that. We all have different personalities. I'm not faulting any. But the people who are so controlling that they can't let the others be creative and have that freedom it causes so much more damage than it, than it does help, even though in their mind, as the leader, they're micromanaging their control is holding on to them. I'll give you an example from the book, from Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. He shares about a company, some sort of assembly line, some sort of factory, manufacturing factory. And in the book, he, he describes how the initial schedule of events or how things work was that workers would come in when the bell rings, they would work on their machines, the bell would ring, it would be break time, some would do various activities, the bell would ring again, they'd go back to their station, they'd work, the bell would ring, lunch would happen, bell would ring again, back to work, so on and so forth. Well, then the company took on new ownership, new management, the bell went away. But the reason it did is because the owner, the leader, asked the question of the people, what needs to change? And a few in the story, and he's, I'm butchering the summary, but he says that some of the workers came and basically said, it feels like I have no freedom, that I'm being micromanaged to the second, that I can't move without getting permission, that you're treating me differently than you would treat the office staff, and that there's trust that the office staff has that the, the factory staff does not have. And, and I think about that and apply that into you know, even my life with my kids. Am I trying to micromanage one over the other in certain areas? Does that happen? Do I have to I've been really good at trying to catch myself in that, I feel like. And just be really free on not wanting to force them to do anything, but allow them to discover and, and be excited about what's happening. More importantly, actually not impor more importantly than my family. My family's the number one thing. They're my, they're my everything. But in my profession, in my work, when I think about my students, a lot of times as a trainer, as a speaker and educator, my job is not to tell you what is going on, but ask you the question to help you discover what needs to happen. It's a skill that I've had really to develop and still am developing. I think the more questions that can be asked, the better it is. But I'm not going to know everything. I've accepted that. It's, it feels really good to know the answers to questions that teachers might have. But it feels a lot better when they are able to discover the answer themselves with questions that uh, lead them in that direction. I think the other piece about school starting and allowing for an area of creativity to happen is the response of the leadership of the house, of the parents. 
and seeing what kids are able to do. I think back to my school experience and I think and I remember a lot of worksheets. I remember a lot of notes taken. I remember a lot of cramming and tests. Middle school and into high school, I remember binders and binders. And obviously I didn't have the technology that we have today to be able to store notes and do everything online. But um, I don't remember a lot of projects. I don't remember a lot of experiences outside of eighth grade history when my teacher brought in a replica musket and had permission from the fire department to shoot it off and uh, in the parking lot. And my physics teacher laying on a bed of nails and having a cinder block broken on his chest by the assistant principal to show the dispersive weight. Um, now, I, I think about that and I think about the phrase that I often hear and often heard, I did it this way so it's good enough for my kid. The funny thing is, is that we are so ingrained in ourselves and our selfishness that sometimes we forget about the creativity of others and what could happen and the creativity that could come if you allow them to thrive. Remember that, like, it's like that micromanaging. As a parent, I did it this way, I was successful, I made it, and so it's good enough for my kid. When the reality is, is that there are opportunities out there that there are dreams out there, there are technologies out there that didn't exist when I had those same opportunities. And it's detrimental to me as a dad, it's detrimental to me as a boss or as a leader to say, no, it has to be this way because that's the way that I've done it. And I find it really interesting when we get into those situations. As a, as a teacher trainer at different conferences, it's been quite eye-opening to come in contact with teachers who are in districts or in schools that had the reputation from my mind of being innovative and having uh, new ideas and, and to come and and see that these teachers are not being well trained but they're just left out on an island to make decisions and make plans that they did as it's always been done I think that's a dangerous phrase and a dangerous place to be in, as we've always, we've always done it this way. I think that's a place that can get you stuck very quickly. It can, it's a comfortable place that doesn't allow for growth. I remember when growing up, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, when I was starting to hit those big growth spurts that I had back problems because my muscles were so tight they weren't able to keep up with what my body was doing and I had to have a chiropractor work on my back because my muscles were so tight. I was growing faster than my muscles could handle. It's the same thing. If you get stuck in that rut, if you get stuck in that, that this is the way we've always done it, routine, you're gonna get sore, you're gonna get left behind and there's nothing that you can do to, to be able to get out of that except find some sort of a chiropractor that fits my illustration. But a lot of times that's scary, right? And, and we've t I've talked about that in a few episodes about the impact of fear. And it's amazing how many tentacles fear does have. You know, like an octopus, like the Demogorgon and Stranger Things. The, those tentacles of fear just reach in so many different places. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, having an expectation of how something's going to be and, and picturing it to be a lot worse than it actually was. It's that insecurity that 
ability to not feel safe, the defensiveness of, of ending up and having an opportunity of being extra vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown, and she talks about being vulnerable and the fear that comes with that. And I think that when we come back to it and this idea of creativity and letting it thrive, and as a leader, how do you allow that to happen? It's not simply just opening the door and saying, hey, go do whatever you want. But it's saying, this is where I want you to succeed. This is the problem I want you to solve. Maybe this is the, the amount of tools or resources you have, but you can go and you can get that done and see what you can do, see what you can come up with along the way. The last story I wanna share in relation to this is when we tried to implement what's called a 20% project. And the 20% project uh, stems off of you know, the uh, ideas that come from Google and the contracts that the, everybody who works for Google in their contract has it written out that 20% of their time needs to be spent on whatever they want to discover, whatever they want to create, whatever they want to learn about. They have actual work time to be able to do that. Now, the cool part about this is that, you know, Gmail and Google Earth came from these 20% times. And so if you have the opportunity to do it in a class, it could really lead to some pretty amazing discoveries. So the school that I was at while we lived in Hong Kong had the opportunity during a homeroom to give 20% of the class periods to this eighth grade students to do this project. It, would end up, it ended up being one class a week for the entire year. We went through a very specific process of facilitating projects, of facilitating. We did a bad idea factory to help inspire students to discover what they wanted to do. And we came away with some really interesting project ideas that were proposed to us that we allowed them to go. Anything from a girl wanting to create, experiment and create her own cupcake recipes, to color theory and the effects on learning and, and marketing, to learning how to play the ukulele from not having any idea, to uh, wanting to understand, understand the path of the criminal justice system uh, from, from every kind of window that you could look through to um, learning to build robots and code and, and those types of things. And the interesting part about this is that this is an intrinsically motivated process. And in order to allow for this creativity to happen, we had to really coach the students through that. For example, the student who had, had proposed to learn more about color theory had a ton of incredible ideas on trying to learn about the effects of color. She wanted to put different filters on the lights on certain days. She wanted to explore the marketing behind the different colors. And that's all things that can be very accessible, the questions that can be answered if you put the time in and, and research. And we got to the point where they were starting to develop their presentations, their TED-like talks that they were gonna do for the fair. And the girl had just simply not done as much as we were hoping and that there were two parts of a conversation that I had with her that were really eye-opening I think for both of us and the first one was that she had said she hadn't done very much and it was a bummer but she was okay with you know walking away with just a, a C as her grade 
and it was very interesting to sit here and to talk to her and to say, actually, you know what, here's the deal, you're not going to get a grade on this. That the only grade that's going to come is the experience you have when you present to your peers and when you present to your parents and everyone at the, at the fair, at the Genius Fair. And the other part is that my job was not to sit here and to drill you and to hold your hand through this process, but it was to get you the time. And so I gave you 20% of your homeroom classes for the entire year. Ended up being about 25, almost 30 classes. And for you to sit here with only a few weeks left and to not have anything done has nothing to do with me as your teacher, but has everything to do with you and your motivation for this project and what you were thinking about. Her eyes were wide and her mouth kind of propped open as she realized that she had wasted her time, that it wasn't my time that she was wasting as if she was in my classroom zoning out, trying to look at her phone under her desk, just waiting for the review packet so she could memorize it and then come back and ace the test because she memorized all the answers. The reality is, is that she had time that she was given that was so precious and that it was wasted away. Now, the other realization about this was the amount of creativity, the amount of facilitations needed to inspire creativity when you are so stuck in the rut of this is how it's always been done. Students would come up with their projects that they had created, that they had planned out, that they had come up with their benchmarks, and they'd say, well, Mr. Williams, does this look right? And my response would be a big smile and say, hey, it looks good. If it's answering your questions, then it might be right, but I'm not the one grading you on this. This is about you and your, your mind's eye, what it's supposed to look like. And that was hard for the students because for the first eight years of their schooling life, they had been told exactly what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to do it and what the teacher wanted rather than saying or receiving the opportunity to thrive in creativity. So I guess my challenge with this is to create an environment of creativity and to allow people to thrive. Your first job as a leader is to let go and to know, and this is, we're gonna pull a little summary from Brené Brown, but to know that the people around you and trust that the people around you will do the best they can and that that is going to be good enough. That's the tough part about being a leader is that sometimes what you have in your mind's eye is something that is not gonna be what those around you, those below you, those next to you create. And so then it's a matter of allowing yourself to be humbled and at peace with that as you move through the process of creativity. Now it's time for the segment of what I saw on my walk. And tonight I saw the sunset and I saw an incredible amount of birds all around me. Not Alfred Hitchcock type, but just birds flying as in silhouettes through the sky, dancing and, and playing in the, in the dusk probably hopefully eating all the mosquitoes that were going to come and feast on my flesh but it was a beautiful night beautiful walk and now I'm staring at the moon as I'm closing my walk out clear skies hot days but so so worth it as always thank you so much for joining me on my walk and for joining the that guy walking podcast uh, if you want to connect you can reach out on twitter at taylor h williams and I look forward to you joining my walk next time. Have a great night.